You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Everybody feeling rested? Right? We had that extra hour. I figured, I figured there's three types of people this morning. There's the one type that was here an hour ago. Well done. Forgot to change your clocks. Yeah. There's the other type that is here this morning, and you're super well-rested because you went to bed at the normal time, and you got an extra hour of sleep. And it's like, I feel great. And then there's the other group that is like, you know what? I get an extra hour of sleep tonight, so I'm going to stay up especially late. <laughs> Anybody following? Yeah, I see that thumb. Yes. <laughs> so I got an extra hour. I'll stay up till 3 in the morning. Yeah. Well, welcome to church this morning. My name is David. Good to have you here on this um, Christmassy, wintry day. Uh, we are carrying on in our series on the book of Acts, which is a book in the New Testament. And just to recap, the book of Acts is a story of the early church. It takes place in the immediate aftermath of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And more precisely, the book of Acts is a story of what happens when the Spirit of God falls upon those who align their lives to Jesus. It is a story of how God is still in the business of transforming lives. But it also tells you the story of the challenges that you and I may face if we align our lives to the ways of Jesus. And so today's story that we're going to be looking at is one of my favorite ones. Um, it involves the Apostle Philip, who comes to be known as Philip the Evangelist. And for good reasons, because we find throughout Philip's life, he's always evangelizing, sharing the gospel. Now, I know when I say the word evangelize, it brings up all sorts of images in your mind. And, and the word evangelist has got a bit of a bad rap these days, because immediately, if you're like me, your mind goes to maybe somewhere deep south, and somebody going, you need to believe in Jesus, in Jesus, for $49.99 if you don't donate to our, you know, all that sort of thing, right? But that's not what evangelism is all about. Evan to evangel, the word evangel is, 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 is the gospel, is good news, is telling people good news. That's what evangelism ought to mean. That's what it originally means. And so what we find here is a guy named Philip, and he's doing just this. And he's doing it in pretty difficult circumstances. He's telling people about Jesus, but it's dangerous times. Um, in the chapter previous, uh, we read about uh, one of Philip's friends, a guy named Stephen. Um, and Pastor Marty led us in this last week. It was Stephen who, who ended up dying for his faith, for doing this very thing, evangelizing. Because there's this guy named Saul who has religious authority, and he's wreaking havoc on the early church getting followers of Jesus arrested wherever they can be found. In fact, we read in chapter 8, verse 3, we read um, that Saul, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And so these are dangerous times to be a Christ follower, let alone to be an evangelist. And you know what? They've always been dangerous times. I remember like last week, um, Mehdi's, Testimony, Pastor Mehdi, about uh, just being a Christian in Iran is, uh, is, 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 was quite a challenging message. 
But we read in this passage that despite the dangers, in verse 4, they were scattered, and wherever they went, they were preaching the word. So despite the dangers, they kept telling people the good news, that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. And Philip is one of those guys who just can't help telling people about Jesus. And we read that he went down to this uh, city of Samaria and proclaimed to the people there who Jesus is. And so far, everything is going well. Philip is preaching. He's telling people about Jesus. People are hungry to hear the good news. But in the middle of this, suddenly, Philip has a new assignment. And it comes on really quickly. And so that's the story we're going to look at today. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 8. There's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you if you don't have it. Um, If you have a phone, just Google Acts 8. Um, (laughs) And that's where we're going to look. Uh, And we're going to look in verse 26. So Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, in honor of God's word, let's stand together. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Let's see what it says. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise. And and this is where there's a translation. Um, It should probably read best, rise and go at noon. That's actually probably a better translation most commentators are saying. Arise and go at midday or at noon to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. And like, the, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with uh, this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. Jesus, this uh, is all about you. Lord, you are not a set of propositions, you're not a worldview, you're not a philosophy, but you are personal and you are present with your people. And so we pray that you would speak to us. You are the God who speaks. So give us ears to hear, soften hard hearts that we would receive from you, and then grant us courage to respond to whatever you say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So here we have Philip. In chapter 8, he's got a thriving ministry in Samaria. And he gets this new call. Now, on one hand, this new call may have been a little disappointing. Because he had a lot going on back in Samaria. 
Lives were being transformed. He was preaching and people were giving their lives to Jesus. Everything seemed to be going well. Then suddenly he gets this call. And it's a strange call. Rise and go. Go at midday to this place I'm going to show you. Now, one thing I need to point out, it's a strange time to be called to go somewhere. He's, he's, he's told to go along this road at a time of day where very few people would be out because of the heat. And the road Philip is told to take went south from Jerusalem to Hebron and then west towards the coast of Gaza. And Philip was told to leave a flourishing ministry and head, we read, to a desert road and go along it at a time when hardly anyone would be traveling because of the heat of day. Now, in many respects, again, this seems odd. What, Philip, what God tells Philip to do makes little sense. I mean, Philip could have said, <laughs> as much as I'd like to go to the middle of nowhere, um, I have a pretty flourishing ministry happening in Samaria. So maybe let me keep doing what I'm doing. Why do you want me to leave? Why do you want me to leave all this behind Go to a desert road in the middle of the day in the heat that's hotter than summer in a Soyuz. Why would you want me to do this? It doesn't make sense. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment because we need to be reminded of something really important. And it's this, is that sometimes God's call in our lives doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense to us. Doesn't make, to the, <laughs> make sense to the people who are watching what you're doing. I remember reading the story about Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen was a Catholic uh, scholar who was a tenured professor at Harvard. And he was quite well known. And he, um, he would constantly uh, be lecturing around the world. And he would lecture to, you know, packed out classrooms at Harvard, teaching the best and the brightest but also pointing them to the reality of Jesus. And it was in the midst of this that God called him out of this, and he left. He left a tenured position at Harvard to go and work with those who are severely mentally disabled in, uh, in Toronto. And people said, what are you doing? Do you not realize the impact that you have? You know, you're... you're teaching the best and the brightest. Why would you leave and, 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 and enter into this kind of ministry? And people shook their heads. It didn't make sense. He could have reached so many people, but he ends up spending much of his day, many of his days, working with one severely mentally challenged man, a fellow named Adam. But Nowen was following God's call. And that's the point. I mean, God's call in our lives does not always make sense. Sometimes he calls us to say something or do something which honestly may not only seem strange to us, but it'll be, seem strange to people around us. Now, why does God do this? Why does God call us to do something that just seems very strange? I have no idea. I just don't know. But I do know that when he calls us, and if it doesn't always make sense, it requires faith, right? And whenever we exercise faith, that's not a bad thing. 
The other thing I find comfort in is that it's not like we're the first people to ever be called to do something strange. We get lots of stories in the Bible, don't we? Uh, my favorite is, is um, God calling Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to leave your home, leave your place, and go to the place that I'll show you. Like, not go to this place. And you can just see Abraham going, okay, yes, I'll leave, Lord. Where are we going? I'll show you. When? I'll show you. I mean, that takes a lot of faith. The other one I always like is, is, is Moses. You know, he's, you know, he's got all the people around him. They've just left Egypt, and they're facing the sea is right in front of them, and you got these chariots bearing down on them. They all got their swords drawn, and God says to Moses, all right, now what I want you to do is stretch out your hand. <laughs> There's people coming. Okay. Um, I mean, sometimes it's just, it's strange, right? Uh, you know, Elijah and Mount Carmel, there's lots of stories. And there's lots of things that God may call us to do that may not make sense. And now we may know down the road, it's like, oh, okay, that's what you're doing. But we may not. Like I think about the guy who um, was instrumental in me becoming a Christian. And uh, he made an effort to always speak to me about Jesus. But at the time, it must have just seemed a royal waste of time. Because I had zero interest in the Bible. I had zero interest in Christianity. I was an atheist, and I was content with that. Thank you very much. And my friend kept telling me, and I'm like, and to the outside observers, like, why are you wasting your time on this unregenerate Canadian living down the street? You're not getting anywhere. You're better off just reaching out to your students. He was teaching at a university at the time. And I love Philip's response. God says, rise and go. And we read that Philip rose and went. I think that's a pretty powerful picture of obedience. So let me ask you the awkward question that's floating in the air right now. Where do you sense, where are you discerning God is calling you to go, or what, are you call, what is he calling you to do? Now, some of you know. Some of you are pretty clear, but you're like, I'm not sure. What is God calling you to do right now? Where is he calling you to go? What is the Spirit of God whispering to you today? Now, you know, I'll just leave that with you. <laughs> but it's something to pay attention to. Philip, he rose and went to a desert road at the heat of the day, the time when nobody, nobody travels. And he's probably like, this makes no sense, until he looks up, and what does he say? Lo and behold, there's a chariot being pulled, most likely by oxen. We say oxen because he's able to catch up to it. Um, and who is in this chariot? Well, we read that the man, there's a man inside the chariot who is an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, when I say Ethiopia, don't think of the country of Ethiopia, the small. It, it, in, in the first century, Ethiopia was a designation for a much, much larger piece of land. Uh, it would encapsulate Ethiopia, Sudan, and much of, you know, Africa south of, of, of Egypt. And it's interesting because when people in the first century talked about Ethiopia, you know what they would describe it as? They would say, Ethiopia, Ethiopia. <laughs> 
Ethiopia, well, that's the ends of the earth. Isn't that interesting? Because what does Jesus say at the beginning? You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Yeah. To get to Ethiopia was not easy. It took many, many months of traveling before you had arrived. And so that's where he's from. And we learn that this man was a eunuch. Uh, that he was employed in the court service of the queen mother, who was known as Candace, essentially the ruler of the kingdom. Without going into the painful details, a eunuch is someone who has been castrated. If you're not sure what that word means, ask a man in the foyer after the service and watch him squirm as he gives you an explanation. Uh, (laughs) From the Jewish perspective, we need to get this. A eunuch was forbidden entry into the temple by Jewish law, Deuteronomy 23. But here's the thing. You read about a prophecy. There's a prophecy that's directed towards eunuchs in guess which book? The book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 56, we come across these words. It's quite interesting. Isaiah chapter 56 um, in verse 3. It says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, and they shall not be cut off. It's quite the promise. And we learn that this fellow... He's quite important. He's an official of the royal treasury. He owned a scroll of scripture, which would have been pretty expensive. And we read that he is making his way through the book of Isaiah. Bless you. Uh, He's making his way through the book of Isaiah. So what have we got so far? We find Philip the evangelist, given this seemingly absurd call to leave the flourishing ministry, Head to a deserted place that is hot at the time that nobody travels. Lo and behold, he encounters a God-fearing African official on his way home from Jerusalem who just happens to be reading a passage which will turn out to introduce him to the person and the work of Jesus. And then Philip gets this second divine command. God says to him, go over to the chariot. Which took a lot of courage because Philip is not a high-ranking person. And he's approaching a high-ranking person. So he catches up to it and he comes up to the chariot and he's listening. And he hears somebody reading, reading aloud from Isaiah the prophet. Now, just as an interesting aside, in the olden days, um, whenever you would read, you would only read aloud. You know that? Yeah, you would only read aloud. It was, it was unheard of to, to, you know, to read in your head. So when you read things, you read aloud, which got me thinking about what it would be like in a library in the ancient world, because <laughs> that would be pretty loud. So Now, just as a, as a geeky side note, which actually has nothing to do with this message, is do you know the first person to read in their head was a guy named Ambrose of Milan? who was a mentor to Augustine. And people looked at Ambrose and said, what are you doing? Because he would read, but he would read in his head and influence people after that. So nothing to do with that, but it's just a kind of a geeky historical side note. I thought that, yeah, that was interesting. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) 
So Philip, he hears, he hears him reading. And he asks a question. He asks the Ethiopian. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And I love the Ethiopian's response. He invites him in. He says, well, how am I going to understand unless somebody explains this to me? Okay, so what's he reading? Well, he's reading a passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 53. Now, Isaiah 53 is a very important chapter because in Isaiah 53, it describes a mysterious figure. And there's lots of ink spilled. A lot of people are wondering, who is this figure? This figure is called the servant of the Lord, a suffering servant. And, you know, so some of the passage, some of Isaiah 53 goes like this. There's this one part that goes, Surely he, this, this mysterious person, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each has gone to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And people have been wondering, who is this servant of the Lord? Who is this servant that suffers humiliation of all kinds? Yet somehow his Affliction deals with our sin. Well, the eunuch doesn't understand who he's referring to. And so he asks Philip, he says, is, is he referring to himself as a prophet? Is he referring to the people of Israel? And Philip says, no. This whole passage is pointing towards one person, one person only. It's pointing towards Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus is a suffering servant. And so it was a perfect opportunity for Philip to tell him about Jesus. And so you see in all this, you see how God's hand is at play. He guides Philip to the right place to meet the right person who's being prepared by God for this encounter. And so Philip, it says, and Philip opened his mouth. And whenever you read those words, when somebody opens their mouth, they're about to say something that's God-inspired and really important. And Philip basically explains from the beginning of Scripture how all the Scriptures were pointing towards the coming of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what Philip said. But I wonder, I wonder, because it's Isaiah 53 he was reading. And just a few chapters later is that passage that points to the hope for the eunuchs. And I wonder if he shared that with them. The gospel has reached the ends of the earth here. And the Ethiopian eunuch, he had a pretty good idea of the entire gospel. He had a pretty good idea of what, 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 who Jesus is all about. Why? We, how, how do we know this? Well, because what's his first response? What does he do? He said, there's some water here. I should get baptized. And Philip stops the chariot. Both men get out, and Philip baptizes the eunuch. And right after the baptism, we read that the Spirit snatched Philip away. Two men came out of the water. Philip's now gone. But this Ethiopian eunuch, his life has been radically changed. And he heads home rejoicing. Transformed. So what do we walk away with from this passage? What are some of the things we can walk away with? Well, one, and we've touched on this, we need to listen and take risks. 
We need to listen and obey even when things seem absurd. Because what seems to us as absurd may be God's hidden wisdom. The other thing is we can rest in the fact that God the Spirit has gone ahead of us. The conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch was planned not by Philip, but by God. And when the Holy Spirit is working ahead of you, man, that takes the pressure off, doesn't it? That means when you go to that coffee shop to talk to your friend and your friend's struggling and you feel prompted, man, I should maybe tell them about who Jesus is, the hope and the peace that we have in Jesus. It doesn't all rely on, it doesn't all depend upon you getting it right. You can stumble through whatever you want. If the Holy Spirit is working ahead of you, you're, it's fine. And I find that so comforting that in the conversations that I have with people, that God is he's on the front foot. He's way ahead of me. And if I mess up, it's no big deal. You can bring somebody else. It takes all the pressure off. I think about uh, my friend who... Um, who People thought he was wasting his time trying to reach out to me and tell me about Jesus. But years later, and I've shared this before, he gave me a book, and the book was uh, Mere Christianity. Now, that was just, you know, it's kind of a popular book. It's a good book to explain to people about who Jesus is. So he gave me a copy of this book. But what he did not know was that one of the things I was struggling with in my life, again, I was an atheist, I had no interest in God, but I started to think about something. And one of the things that I was thinking about it's a strange thing, is I was thinking about the nature of goodness. Because I was operating, if it's good for me, then it's good. If it's bad for me, then it's bad. I'm like, that can't be right. It can't just all be about me. And I say, I wonder if there is this such a thing called goodness that's just good, and it applies to everyone. That this is, you know, if, if you're on a bus and an old lady comes up and, and uh, she's about to sit down and you push her down the stairs and take her seat, that's just wrong doesn't matter what culture you're from, that's just wrong. You don't do that to old people, right? And so where does that idea of goodness come from? What is right and what is wrong? Could it be that there's a, there's a lawgiver, that there's a giver of goodness? So anyhow, that's going through my mind. And my friend gives me this book. Well, you know Lewis's starting point in that book. Is there such a thing as goodness? And where does it come from? That's exactly where Lewis begins, and that's exactly where I was at. My friend didn't know that. He's like, here's the book. But the thing was, is God was way ahead of things. He's way ahead of us. He's always on the front foot. And I think that's one thing we need to remember. The other thing that comes out of this passage is the importance of asking.